You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Okay, let's stop being friendly. We are in church. Uh, <laughs> this week I, uh, I was reading an article by a pastor who has an unusual hobby. He uh, does stand-up comedy in clubs in LA. And, and he said uh, in most of the clubs where he performs, he's the only Christian, the only married person, the only dad, and the only one who works clean. And he just tells jokes about his wife and his five kids and gets lots of laughs. But he says he hasn't, he hasn't really fully explained who he is. Uh, he hasn't told him he's a Christian, let alone a pastor. Because he says most of his fellow comedians are gay or trans or affirming of those things. And their jokes are all about sex and abortion and making fun of people like him. And he says, I, I, I'm just afraid of being excluded. I'm afraid of being labeled a bigot. So I just really haven't told them exactly who I am yet. And, and if you walk with Christ in the Bay Area, you understand that, right? That we, we know we're out of step with our culture. And we don't want to offend people, but we don't want to deny our faith. And so we just kind of keep quiet. And uh, we're, we're trying to figure out how to be in the world, but not of the world, right? How to love our neighbor as ourself when our neighbor may just think we're a brain-dead bigot. And uh, that's the journey of faith we're on here in the Bay Area and, and how to pull that off. And I think we're going to get a little help from an uh, unexpected source today as we continue in the Hebrews 11. We're in the school of faith. Hebrews 11 is a list of people who live by faith in the Old Testament. And each of them has a specific lesson in walking by faith to teach us. And today we're going to look at a prostitute named Rahab. So let's read Hebrews 11 here, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she'd welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab acts consistently with what she believes about God, which puts her into conflict with her culture, but transforms her future. And, and so today, as we look at Rahab, I want to look at three things. Faith acts, faith divides, and faith transforms. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Tad and his example over the years and his faithfulness. And thank you for calling us to do the same thing he's doing where we are. And I pray that you will speak to us out of your word. Thank you for your word who performs your work in us who believe. We pray you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rahab isn't a, a real familiar figure in the Bible to many people. So I want to start off by just telling the story of Rahab. 
and then drawing a few lessons from her faith that we might be able to apply to ourselves. Rahab appears in the book of Joshua. And as the book of Joshua opens, a new generation of Israelites are preparing to, to go into the land that God promised their forefathers that he would give them. The generation that Moses led out of Egypt but who refused to go into the land because they were more afraid of the Canaanites than of God, has all died after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And so this is a new generation, and it's led by a new leader, Joshua. And uh, the book of Joshua is divided up into three great military campaigns that Joshua leads. And the first military campaign is the most difficult. It is against the city of Jericho, which is the most well-fortified fortress of that area. It, it guards the eastern entrance into the land of Canaan. It's not an obstacle that they can put off because if they leave it intact, it leaves their flanks open to the attacks of the armies of Jericho. So the, the biggest barrier to Joshua is the first barrier. And that's Jericho. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2 of Joshua. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. One of the themes we've seen in the uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews is that the walk of faith involves us and involves God. God has responsibilities and we have responsibilities and as, as we work together that we see things happen. God has told Israel, I will fight your battles for you. I will conquer the seven nations that inhabit Canaan, but you still have to go in and swing your swords. You still have to fight them, even though I'll be doing the fighting for you. So Joshua is a good general, realizes he needs intelligence about the city of Jericho, so he appoints the two uh, spies to go in and, and see what they can find out about this city. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and was and lodged there. Uh, the word harlot is kind of an ambiguous term. It, it probably means prostitute, but it can also mean the owner of a tavern or an inn, somewhere where people from outside of town would stay, and that's where these spies go to stay. So she probably was a harlot. She was probably both, but that's, that's just a little sidelight for you. Okay. Um, it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. These spies haven't quite learned their spy craft yet, because as soon as they get into Jericho, everybody says, uh-oh, Israelites. And the king sends word to Rahab, probably in the form of the Jericho police, to turn these guys over. So you get the picture here? And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them and said, Yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I don't know where the wind went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Them. But she had 
brought them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men, the men of Jericho, pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as they were, uh, those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. So Rahab risks her life and presumably her family's life for two complete strangers, two men who are not Canaanites, but are from another country. And so the question is, why does she do that? Why does she act in such an unusual manner? Now, before they lay down, remember the guys are on the roof, they're hiding under the flax. Uh, Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father, my mother, and my brothers and my sisters with all those who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab says, we've been hearing about you guys for the last 40 years. And everybody is scared to death. We we heard how the army of Egypt was destroyed in the Red Sea after you passed across safely. We heard how you destroyed the kingdoms of Sihon and Og on the way here. We've heard how your God does stuff, unlike our gods. How he goes before you in in a bright, bright cloud and how he provides for you. They have been hearing about the God of Israel for 40 years. And so even though Rahab lives in the best fortified city in the world of that time, she says, we're toast. And I want to be on the winning side. That's why I'm choosing to hide you guys and not side with my... It's interesting. Everybody fears God in Jericho, but only one person acts on that fear, acts on that faith. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen on you. Hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then after you you may go your way. The men said to her, we shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear to spare her and her family's life. When we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread 
in the window through which you've let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father, your mother, and your brothers, and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath you have made us swear. The spies tell Rahab when the battle starts, get all your family into your house and mark your house by a scarlet thread hanging through the window, and we will guarantee your safety. That's the story. That's the story of Rahab. So what do we learn from, from Rahab? Well, one thing we learn immediately is the same lesson we've learned from everybody in Hebrews 11, that faith acts. That if I really believe something, I will behave like I believe it. That's why, why James, when he talks about what real faith looks like, he uses the example of Rahab. He says, let's move to the next one. Let's move to the next one. We've looked at that. Okay. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Everybody in Jericho knows about God, knows about what God has done, but only one person acts on that knowledge. Rahab knows that it doesn't matter that she's in the best fortified city in the world. Nothing's going to stop God, and she wants to be on his side. So she risks her life to save the lives of the spies. In the Bible, if faith is not accompanied by action, the Bible would say we really don't believe. That real faith acts like they believe. And that's why at the root of every sin is unbelief. I don't have a problem with self-control or anger our fear, our lust. I have a problem with unbelief. Because unbelief is what opens the door to every sin. Let me show you what I mean. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that in him there is no darkness at all? That, that God is incapable of doing wrong? Do you believe that every good thing and every, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who never changes? Do you believe that everything God does for you and wants for you is not only good, but the very best for you? Well, how would a person behave who really believed that? Well, it'd be like Jesus. You'd say, not my will, but yours be done. Because your plan is better than my plan because you're good. You can't have a bad plan. I, I wouldn't panic when things don't go my way. I wouldn't get angry when my goals aren't fulfilled or somebody gets in the way of what I want. Uh, 
And I certainly wouldn't want stuff that God says will destroy me. Do you live that way? No, we don't, do we? Because deep down, we don't really believe God is good. Satan's first victory came about when he tempted Adam and Eve not to believe that God's commandments were good. Isn't that right? Remember the serpent says to Eve, any trees here you're not supposed to eat? And Eve says, well, we can eat of any tree except for that one over in the corner, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God says, the day we eat of it, we'll surely die. And the, the serpent says, you won't die. In fact, God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be just like God. Your eyes will be open. You'll know good from evil. And Adam and Eve sin because they think that by being obedient to God, they'll miss out on something. Does that sound, sound familiar? Because that trait is passed on to every human being that's ever lived. That deep down, we don't think we can rely totally on God, because if I rely totally on God, I'm going to miss out on something. And that's why we look for things from the creation to satisfy us, because we're afraid God won't satisfy us. The Bible calls those things idols. And not only can those things we rely on not satisfy us, they end up enslaving us. Isn't that true? Do you have something you wish you could stop doing or start doing? Gosh, I wish I didn't waste so much time on my phone. I wish I didn't eat so much or drink so much. I wish I didn't get angry so quickly. I wish I didn't care what people think about me so much. I wish I was braver. I wish I was worked harder. I wish I worked less. I We've all got stuff like that, don't we? Because those idols enslave us. And at the root of the, the reason they enslave us is because we don't believe the commands of God are for our good. We don't believe when Jesus says, he who drinks of this water will thirst again, but he who drinks of the water I give to him will never thirst. We don't believe uh, Psalm 84:11, The Lord God is the sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. We don't believe, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they alone will be satisfied. We don't believe that God is so good that only he can satisfy us. Lately, I've been uh, concerned about an area of my life, um, just wasting time in the evenings. And, and this is something I've done all my life, all my life. I've always, I've always gone to, to easy entertainment to relax at night. I, I did it when I was a kid. Growing up in alcoholic family is the way I escaped and just kept that going. And, I, and just lately, now that I'm in my 70s and it's time to grow up, um, <laughs> I, I, and I, so I, I just asked, why do I have this habit at the end of the day that I just want to veg out and watch some European detective mystery or, uh, you know, our, our, our sports center? Our, and, and it just, it doesn't satisfy. It just hypnotizes and leaves me feeling empty. And I realized 
I realized that I have kind of kept this area of my life from the Lord because I've said, I, I worked for you all day. I need a little me time. And that's silly, isn't it? But really, why I'm doing that is I'm saying, God can't satisfy me completely, is what I'm saying, right? So I, 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 it's a faith issue. Do I believe that God satisfies? Do I believe that his way is the best way? And so lately, I've just been, when I finally get to the end of the day and have a little um, discretionary time, I've started asking the Lord, okay, what do you want me to do now? How should I use this time? And he has a much better plan than I do, I've discovered. And the things, I'm just I'm more active, um, I'm happier, more energetic. It's just, it's, I'm just getting started on this thing. But, you know, with Rahab, there's a, a lag time between the time you trust God and the time you're rewarded. And that's usually the case for us, too. We, we obey God, then there's some lag time, then we find out. For me, there's been no lag time. It's been amazing. It's just as I have really tried to depend on God for my satisfaction rather than entertainment. My evenings have gotten so much richer, and I'm just so much more alert, so much happier. Let me ask you a question. Where in your life right now are you not living like a person who believes that God is good? Where are you still doing the stuff you used to do before you trusted in Christ? Are you living like a person who doesn't know Christ? What does the Bible say about that? What does God promise about that? Figure that out. And then step out on faith and start doing what God says to do. And just watch, experience God's goodness. I read a, a great line the other day. It, it, it said, the greatest cost of sin is depriving us of the opportunity to experience God's goodness. Isn't that good? We don't experience God's goodness because we don't give God a chance to show us that he's good, that he satisfies, that no good thing does he withhold from those uprightly. So the first lesson we learned from, from um, Rahab, real simple one, faith acts. Faith does stuff. Faith isn't just an intellectual belief that you carry around in case you need it someday. Faith behaves like somebody who believes. By the way, did you notice how, what the spies said about how uh, Rahab and her family would be saved? When the attack comes, stay in your house and mark your house with a scarlet thread so that the armies of Israel will know to spare everybody in that house. As you read through the history of the Bible, you find that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And, and you see the same story over and over again. Remember the 10th plague, the, the, when all the firstborn of Egypt died? But God, how did God spare his people from that plague? He said, kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorposts of your house, and the plague will pass over that house. Kind of like Rahab. Remember when God poured out judgment on the world in the form of a flood? Who got saved? Noah and his family, because they, where were they? When judgment fell, they were in the ark, right? 
So here you've got three examples of people who are not saved because of who they are. And they're not saved because of what they do. They're saved because of where they are. Theologians call these types. They are pictures in the Old Testament of New Testament truth. And the New Testament truth that Rahab and her house and the Passover and the ark are all pictures that God will save from judgment all those who are in Christ. All those who are covered with the scarlet thread of the blood of the Lamb, who are in, in Jesus and covered by his righteousness, these people will be saved from eternal destruction, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, but simply because you have a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? A Christian is not a good person. And you can all wave your hands, yes, that's very true. A Christian is a person who has fled to Christ for salvation and realized it's only by being in relationship to him that I'm saved. So faith acts. Second thing is faith divides. Faith divides. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient. That is all the other people who lived in Jericho after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab never planned to be a rebel or a revolutionary. But when she put her faith in the God of Israel, she suddenly found herself out of step with the rest of her culture. She found herself siding with God's people and protecting the spies rather than being loyal to the king of Jericho. And that's something that Christians have found for centuries. In the first three centuries of the church, Christians were persecuted and martyred because they refused to sacrifice to and worship the local gods or Caesar because they believed in the true God. In the Middle Ages, Christians were persecuted and martyred because they believed what the Bible said rather than what the local church dogma said. In the 20th century, Christians were persecuted and martyred because they believed there was a higher authority than the Nazi state or the communist state. Today, Christians are out of step because we believe the Bible and not what the culture insists that we believe. And rather than being surprised at that, you need to see that's normal. That's normal. Paul writes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil about you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they treated the prophets who were before you. We'll come back to that verse in just a minute. It is normal for your faith to divide you from people who don't have that faith. Why? Because we love God 
and the people in the world do not love God. And so there is a fundamental difference between us. And that's why John writes, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. It is imperative that we understand that faith will always divide you from your culture. You'll always be an alien. You'll always be out of step with the culture. Because if you're a people pleaser like me, you begin to blame yourself when people cancel you for being a Christian. If I was just a better Christian, or if Christians were just better, then everybody would be happy with us. Now, can Christians be better Christians? Can we be better examples? But the one who loved his neighbor perfectly was crucified. And he said, remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. People will treat you as Jesus was treated. And so we just need to accept the fact that we are out of step and love people not so they'll think better of us, but they'll, so God will be glorified. And, and often throughout history, when Christians were persecuted, it was the calm acceptance of that persecution that was the greatest witness to their persecutors of their faith in Christ. So God uses the hostility of the world to glorify himself and to draw other people in to him. Does that make sense? So that's why it's, it's so important that we accept the fact, not only does faith, do we act on our faith, but faith divides. That faith, you will always be out of step because you, no matter how kind you are, no matter how nice you are, you will be a reminder that you follow a different Lord than your unbelieving friend, and that bothers people. That really bothers some people because it's, I remember as a non-Christian, it bothered me. I didn't want to be around Christians, even though they were nice people, because it reminded me that Christ wanted my life, and I didn't want him to have it. Does that make sense? Now, one other lesson we learned from, from Rahab is that faith transforms. So they have the battle. The walls fall down. Remember that? Everybody in Jericho is wiped out except for Rahab and her family. And so Rahab and her family become part of the nation of Israel. And she eventually marries a Jewish man by the name of Salmon. And they have a boy whose name is Boaz. And Boaz marries a Moabite woman named Ruth. And they become the grandparents of a guy named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And that's why there is a prostitute in the genealogy of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Look at Matthew here. 
Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boab was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was father of David the king. And so God takes this, this harlot, who I'm sure wondered at times, why did I ever take up this profession? Or maybe she didn't have a choice. And makes her part of the royal line of Jesus. So faith not only divides, faith transforms and it takes a life and uses it for a far greater purpose. And that's what God does for us too, isn't it? If any person is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, new things have come. When I came to Christ, the old me died. And a new me was resurrected in his place. The slave to sin died, a son of God was born. I was a member of Adam's fallen race. Now I became a member of God's forever family. Under the wrath of God, under the mercy of God. A life wasted, a life of me. I, I mark the beginning of my life when I came to Christ at the age of 20. And uh, gosh, 54 years ago now. And I could not ask for a better life. There, there's, I was talking to my neighbor yesterday, and I said, there's nothing that I would want that I don't have, that ha God hasn't given me. doesn't mean there hasn't been suffering and trials and all that stuff. That's, that's just part of life. But God has used those for good. He transformed pretty much a worthless, meaningless, purposeless guy to someone that he made incredibly happy and has blessed me in every way. And if you're not a Christian... If you're still trying to do this on your own, I invite you to ask Christ to be your Savior. To believe that he lived the life that you're unable to live so that God can give his righteousness to you as a gift. And see you as just as righteous as Jesus. And he dies the death we deserve to die. Uh, bearing the sins that we've committed so that God can forgive us. And make us brand new people. And, and we... Believe that simply by confessing Jesus is Lord and asking him to come into our lives, forgive our sins, and make us the person he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our sister, Rahab. Thank you for some of the most unlikely conversions, and uh, yet the way she is a, uh, a teacher of faith for us. We pray that we can be people who act on their faith and experience your goodness as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.